from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And man, what a week it's been. It's the day after Valentine's Day, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are either really happy about that or really, really sad and grumpy. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about some of the big news today that we're finding out that the United States government did, in fact, know what was going on with this balloon. Big story here. Because um, we were under the impression nobody knew anything. Oh, my gosh, we just discovered this thing floating across our skies. Where did it come from? When did it start? Well, it turns out we knew what was going on ever since the Chinese spy balloon lifted off near China's south coast. You don't believe me? Listen to this report from Nora O'Donnell and Nancy Cordes. Check this out. The three objects shot down this weekend may have been harmless research balloons. That's now a leading theory for the intelligence community. There's strong consideration that these uh, objects are indeed benign. They won't know for sure until they find the debris. They're in very difficult terrain. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff described the challenge. One object came down in the Arctic Circle, where it's minus 40 degrees. The second came down in a hard-to-reach part of the Canadian Rockies. And the third plunged into Lake Huron, a couple hundred feet deep. We'll get them eventually, but it's going to take some time to recover those. He defended the decision to scramble fighter jets to shoot them down and acknowledged that the first missile fired over Lake Huron missed its target. First shot missed, uh, second shot hit. New cockpit audio reveals that even the pilots were perplexed by what they saw. Uh, I can see like lines coming down below, but I can't see anything below it. Pentagon officials have offered intriguing descriptions of the objects. One looked like a metallic drum. Another was cylindrical and carried a tethered payload. Another was octagonal in shape with strings attached. What are these things? Who sent them here? And what are they doing here? GOP senators argued today that the public deserves more answers from the commander-in-chief who ordered the objects shot down. I mean, my phone's ringing off the wall, and we got a president of the United States and not saying anything. We asked White House officials if the president has any plans to make public comments about these objects, and all they would say is that he continues to be briefed and takes the situation very seriously. They did say today that they can rule out the possibility that any of these objects were connected to the U.S. government. They were able to do that after connecting with the FAA. All right, so again, that's Nora O'Donnell, CBS News, saying there is breaking news tonight that the Chinese spy balloon, CBS learned that the United States intelligence watched the flying airship as it lifted off near China's south coast. That means the U.S. military had been tracking it for nearly a week before it entered U.S. airspace, longer than was originally known. This is a big deal. I mean, I can't imagine how uh, the media got past this. How how did the media let this escape? How are we only finding out about it now? Does that um, kind of speak to what's going on with the 
the lack of inquisitiveness of our media where they just kind of, you know, can I get a statement from you? All right. They said they didn't know anything. All right. They said it's not China. All right. They said it's not aliens. All right. He said it is aliens. You know, it's just really, it's, just, it's exhausting to, to see how ineffective uh, our, our at-large media, you know, whenever I make these comments, somebody says, there's always a wise guy out there that says, well, you know, you are the media, right? You do know that, right? The, the problem with this is that, no, I'm not the media. I don't work for a, a news bureau. There is no, uh, while I might be the head of trust and safety here uh, at uh, America at Night, I am. I don't have a Berlin bureau. I don't have a Brazil bureau, right? We don't have a massive news operation. We're gathering news from news gathering organizations and analyzing that news and bringing you commentary on it. So when you look at a situation like this, to me, it's very, it's very disheartening. It really is. I mean, I'm glad that they're reporting this, but if, if the new term on the street, and we talked about this last night uh, to some degree, is that everything is benign, then we must ask ourselves, was this some sort of premature jumping of the gun because we had the big 200-foot airship that they said they had tabs on the whole time and was eventually shot down when it was in a safe area, quote-unquote? Um, these other three, were they bogus? Was this BS? Or was this something that we we're actually trying to, uh, to, to figure out? I, honestly, I have very little faith. I feel there's such a lack of transparency coming out of the White House. I haven't heard a word from Biden on this stuff. He hasn't, you know, he just, he makes a passing comment here and there. He says gun control is necessary. We got to get rid of guns. He'll get into to stuff like that. But when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to, uh, in my opinion, the biggest threat that we face is China, right? They want to say the biggest threat that we face in America is a white man, a straight white man. I, I don't really walk down the street in fear of, of a straight white man. I, I do think about, you know, how are we going to get attacked? Who's doing the attacking? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be an unconventional warfare, which I think it is? I think that's what this is, right? When you wreak havoc on a people and you, uh, you hack them to death, you know, death by a thousand cuts, you change culture, you implement these Confucius Institutes, you take over institutions of higher education. We're now finding out that there's um, a bunch of donations that have gone to the uh, University of Pennsylvania where the Penn Biden Center was and that these donations were obscured uh, but came from the Chinese government vis-a-vis um, -vis whomever. Really interesting and really um, alarming in my opinion, right? These are things we have to pay attention to. A and it, it trickles down, not economics, but it trickles down to everything else. So I want to talk about the China threat and the spy balloons and, and uh, a little bit on Iran and a little bit with our next guest. We're going to do that. Former CIA analyst uh, Fred Flights is scheduled to be with us from the uh, America First Policy Institute, and he was the uh, chief of staff over at the National Security Council at the White House as well. But uh, we're also going to get into, you know, uh, maybe part two of what happened yesterday, right? It was yesterday's Valentine's Day. Everybody was seeing hearts through their eyes. But today, is it a good idea to still see hearts through your eyes, especially if it's with, you know, Janice from the department down the hall? Should we get into workplace romances? That's a big question, a, a fling at work. We're going to talk about that as well. I'm really interested in your calls and more. Uh, every now, Whenever I do a topic like that, sometimes people call in and they say, you know what? I met my wife there at, at work and we, you know, we lived happily ever after, four kids later. So I'm interested in hearing those stories and we're going to get into that as well. Plus, uh, we're going to continue to update you always on what's going on 
with safety and criminality and the attack on law enforcement across the country. So we're going to discuss that as well. Plus, it's going to be open phones across America in the final hour of the program. So uh, don't go anywhere. Don't miss a single hour of this program. They're all going to be unique. They're all going to be interesting, in my opinion. And they're all going to include you, the listener. 8334-VALDEZ is the phone number. And don't go anywhere because we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Or you can get me online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Now, I want to talk about, I want to continue to discuss this uh, Chinese balloon. We just talked about this news clip from CBS News where Nora O'Donnell said there is this breaking news that came out today where the U.S. intelligence officials did, in fact, know and were tracking this um, balloon throughout when it took off from southern China, straight across into our airspace, throughout our country, through the interior, and up until they uh, decided to, uh, like they say, quote-unquote, decommission it. And I want to get to the bottom of this. We've been talking about it for a while, but uh, we've got an expert lined up, vice chair of the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute, former chief of staff at the National Security Council in the White House during the Trump administration, and former CIA analyst Fred Flights. Welcome, sir. Uh, good to be here. You bet. So let's talk uh, a little bit about this, right? Because uh, there's this this news that we, we knew, but we didn't know. Obviously, you're the guy that knows about this stuff. Why are we just finding this stuff out? I, you know, it's a strange story. The new story is that the balloon launch was discovered when it when it uh, left Hanan Island, which is near Vietnam, and somehow it made it to Alaska. I don't know if this means that it flew over Korea or Japan or if it floated out into the Pacific Ocean. I find it hard to believe anything this administration or intelligence community says because, frankly, we know that they lie. And this administration is desperate to spin and to, to change the subject to distract from the reality that a giant Chinese spy balloon floated over the entire United States, hovered over sensitive military facilities, and Joe Biden did nothing about it until it was over the Atlantic Ocean. This is this is alarming to me. And I, I was, you know, shouting from this big microphone over here, tell, you know, hoping somebody would listen to me and shoot this thing down. Eventually, I think Biden says, shoot it down. Then the generals say, no, we're not so sure, sir. We'll wait a little while. We'll wait till it's taken all the pictures it's got to take and do what it's got to do. Then we'll shoot it. Well, what do you make of that approach? Well, you know, it's strange because Biden wouldn't shoot down this obvious spy, the spy balloon, which was the size of three buses. And then suddenly he shoots down three other, you know, balloons. They're not. They're trying not to call them balloons. They're they're calling them uh, unidentified flying objects or something, some other similar uh, term. But these were different. They were at a lower altitude. They weren't maneuverable. They were different shapes, and uh, they may not have been Chinese. They may have been legitimate weather balloons that are permissible under American law or international treaties. Uh, we may have shot down American spy balloons or balloons or devices that were up there that American corporations were running or Canadian corporations or Japanese corporations. It, it, it seems to me, and I've heard other experts say this, 
the Biden White House may have said, can you find some balloons for, for the president to shoot down to try to compensate right. for what happened with the, the way he, he misplayed the, the larger Chinese balloon? To make it look like he's tough on balloons. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I totally buy it. It's a photo op. It's the equivalent of a photo op just in the sky. And and every every report coming out is that they're benign. They may be researched. They may be this. I'm thinking if this is, you know, some some benign whatever research, something that's some somehow sanctioned and the government's going to cut them in check, say, hey, my bad. We use this super expensive missile on our super expensive fighter jet to blow this thing out of the sky. It was a training exercise gone awry. My bad, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I just I, I, I can believe that because nothing would surprise me more uh, or less, I should say. But um do we we have a problem? I, I think we still have a problem with this two hundred foot spy balloon that we allowed to float in our airspace. No. Well, it, it, I think we now know, and maybe we already knew, that China has a fairly aggressive espionage program using balloons, and there, there are quite a few of them that the Chinese have deployed worldwide. We know some were sent over Central America. My guess is they've flown over or near. Other nations that China wants to monitor, especially countries like India and Japan. Uh, I mean that that's that's an issue, um, but but I think we have to recognize that the balloon that the Chinese sent it, it may not have been sent to collect anything in particular. It may have been sent to test their air defenses and to test uh, President Biden's decision making. Mm. I think it's pretty clear he failed those tests. Yeah, well, that, that's clear. And uh, how would the American people eventually find out if we're shooting down weather balloons so that Biden can take a victory lap? Well, that's what Congress has to do. Congress needs to deserve, well, deserves answers. I thought it was extraordinary that Jim Hines, he's the new top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee because Adam Schiff was kicked off. One of the best things that Speaker McCarthy has done. Uh, Hines has complained that the administration won't tell him anything about the balloons. I think it's frightening when uh, he's part of the gang of eight, the, the, the gang of eight of the, the leaders of the Senate and the House and the chairman ranking member of the Senate and House Intelligence Committees. And he couldn't get answers of what's going on. Well, well, I mean, under the law, the administration is required to keep the gang of eight informed of activities like this. And I think they're just trying not to brief Congress about material that's embarrassing to Joe Biden. This is, in my opinion, uh, it's egregious. I mean, when when people feel unsafe, Fred Flights, I think it's important that we put that information out there. Now, it's clear Biden's going to do nothing. He has done nothing. And if anything, he's just posturing, putting on his aviator glasses, playing Top Gun, shooting down weather balloons that may not even be Chinese. So if that's the case, how do we actually defend ourselves against China if Biden's just playing dress up? Well, you know, I think actually some good will come out of this. Uh, you know, the, the, the Biden administration is always portraying China as a competitor. Well, no, Canada is a competitor. Japan's a competitor. France is a competitor. China is an adversary. It wants to displace the U.S. as the top uh, nation on Earth with violence if necessary. And I think this incident has opened the eyes of many Americans to the threat from China. And Coupled with the large number of Democrats who voted for the creation of this new House Special Committee on China, something Nancy Pelosi always blocked, I, I, I think that we now have a realization in the American people 
that China is a significant security threat, and and I'm I'm hoping that will lead to to some significant bipartisan action to address the threat from China. Now, China hasn't sat still, though. They're saying, no, no, guess what? We're going to retaliate, right, over the uh, over the downing of our balloon. Is, is this rhetoric coming from China, or should we expect more? How do you take a, a threat like that in about a minute? I, I really don't take it seriously. I think the Chinese are, 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 are laughing pretty hard at the way this was handled, and that Joe Biden followed it up by shooting down balloons that probably weren't Chinese. I, I think China succeeded in its objective in testing this president and our defenses. I think that's just empty rhetoric. They also claim that we've sent spy balloons over China, which I understand is absolutely false. Uh, the Chinese are engaged in an information war, among other types of war, and uh, I think they're winning. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I hate to hear that. Uh, folks, we're on with uh, Vice Chair of the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute, Fred Flights, former CIA analyst and chief of staff at the National Security Council in uh, Trump's White House, and discussing uh, everything national security. We're going to get into a little bit of Iran as well, plus a little bit of censorship here domestically. So um, don't miss that. Plus, if you want to join the conversation, it's 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, Fred Flights, uh, before we take our first pause, I just want to get, uh, I guess, a sense from you on, from a, I guess, a political perspective, if you could put that hat on for a second. What do you, how long do you think this stays in the news? I mean, it went from balloons to aliens, back to balloons to Biden's top gun. And here we are today with the news story that we knew all along. We knew all along. Does this thing survive till next week or does it just disappear? I think it may survive another week. I believe it's going to add, uh, um, to, to the, the work of the uh, House Committee on, on China. But I think the administration is going to sweep this under the rug and continue with their efforts to try to send uh, Secretary of State Blinken to China. And, of course, his uh, primary mission was to negotiate more climate change grants. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, the, the, I think frivolous national security initiatives are, are really maybe more dangerous than the other things that Joe Biden has done, because it's really emboldening our enemies to try things well. Uh, Mr. Biden is in office. And, um, you know, I, I'm very worried what's going to happen uh, until this president leaves office. All right, folks, we're on with Fred Flights. He's with us for another segment or two. He's uh, vice chair at the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute, former chief of staff at the National Security Council. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about uh, NBC headline that says the Biden administration has been briefing former Trump national security officials on Chinese spy balloons. Uh, uh, You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Fred Flights, former chief of staff at the National Security Council and the vice chair of the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute. And I'm looking at a headline in NBC News. Biden administration briefs former Trump national security officials on Chinese spy balloons. The briefing was offered to the officials since incidents that occurred during Trump's presidency weren't discovered until after Biden took office. How convenient. Fred Flights, what say you? Well, my, my uh, colleague, John Radcliffe, he's former director of national intelligence, and he's also with the America First Policy Institute. He received one of these briefings. I haven't received a readout from him yet. I, I, I think the, this is uh, damage control. The administration is offering briefings to members of Congress also. Uh, of, co- of course, those will be classified. I don't know that all these former officials have have uh, uh, security clearances. But I think they believe that they have to try to uh, talk these critics into their position to stop the, the bleeding, the damage to Biden's reputation. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think they can provide a credible explanation for these, for these three balloons that were shot down after the first balloon. And if they're going to claim that the Chinese had a balloon program during the Trump administration, I don't think that's a surprise whether they can prove that balloons cross U.S. territory under the Trump administration. My understanding is they've backed away from that allegation. So, as I said, I think this is damage control, and it's, it's not going to change the, the situation. All right. Now, I want to quickly pivot to uh, just a little bit of uh, some other global affairs with uh, respect to uh, Ukraine and Russia. I, I hear some folks saying, look, you know, um, Russia's doing extraordinarily well. They, you know, we thought they'd be done by now and withered down to nothing and yet they're they're maintaining while others are saying you know i mean with all the support ukraine is getting from the united states you would have thought they'd won already and yet they haven't beat russia so wh- where do you land on that i i think ukraine is approaching a pivotal point right now russia's planning a major offensive uh ukraine may have an opportunity to stop that offensive and make some significant gains against russia but we're, we're facing political realities in the United States. It's pretty clear in the U.S. Congress that uh, many members of Congress, especially on the Republican side, uh, do not want to support uh, this l- large amount of U.S. military aid to Ukraine indefinitely. They want to see an end game for the end of this conflict. They're not going to support an endless war, a war of attrition, and they're frustrated that the Biden administration doesn't seem to have an answer to this. All they want to do is send an endless amount of weapons to Ukraine, thinking that will solve the conflict. And either, I mean, it's possible that will happen. I think it's more likely this will be a long-term war of attrition. And if that happens, Ukraine's going to lose. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would hate to see that happen because that's a win for Putin. And uh, what is it, I guess, if you had to advise them, what do we have to do to, to make sure that they win? I, I personally feel like Biden could play a pivotal role as leader of the free world if he actually, you know, got on his horse and got to work. But it seems he's he's absentee here and he's taking a back seat to it. That's right. He's been leading from behind. A lot of these weapons have been promised to the Ukrainians. They haven't arrived. They won't have arrived for a long time. The Ukrainians need those weapons now. They need those weapons to stop the Russian offensive 
and maybe launch. Well, frankly, they should be launching a major offensive of their own uh, to 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 grab territory from from the Russians. But we, I think, there's a big difference between what Biden promises and what's delivered. There's a long lead time, and we're not pressing our allies to do their part. Now, you've um, you know worked in this world uh, as a CIA analyst and working in the White House uh, on national security. How would you grade Biden's handling? I, I'm very critical of him, but I'm I'm not a professional uh, intelligence guy like you are. What um, what kind of grade would you give him on how he's handled this? Uh, look, I, I I know this is going to sound obvious, but I give him an F. I think that the <laughs> the invasion of Ukraine is is largely because of Biden's incompetence and perception of weakness. If we had uh, stated very clearly that Ukraine's membership in NATO is off the table or is off the table for 25 years, Putin may not have invaded. But the way Biden handled this, the disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, other signs of American weakness, encouraged Biden to take this action. Keep in mind that Putin invaded neighboring uh, nations on three U.S. presidencies in a row, not Trump. Why was that? Well, because he was afraid of Trump. And because Trump had credibility, and I know for the foreign policy establishment, they hate that. They don't want to admit it, but they don't have an explanation why Putin invaded under Bush. He invaded under Obama. He invaded under Biden. But yeah, uh, well, oh, the oh, work, wait a minute, wasn't what, he collaborate? Wasn't tr- Trump that's it. He was, with, with he was a Russia? puppet no, he right? of the Kremlin. That's what they say. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it sort of disproves that whole theory. Right. It if makes he no was sense. Collaborating with the Russians, the Russians would have invaded Ukraine during the Trump presidency. Hundred percent, yeah, it, it totally falls apart on its face. All right, Fred Flights is uh, vice chair at the Center of American Security at the America First Policy Institute, and uh, he's with us for another segment. I want to talk about some censorship in the United States, and we're going to do that straight ahead. Again, the phone number is eight three three four Valdez. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So we've got uh, our guest, Fred Flights, is with us. He's the vice chair of the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute. Uh, he was also the uh, chief of staff uh, at the National Security Council in the White House during the Trump administration. And earlier today, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, says that China, uh, the Chinese government, is the single greatest threat to the economic and national security of the United States. And now that may be true, but I feel like there's got to be something said for the people that open their parliamentary sessions shouting death to America. And that's what they do in Tehran, Iran, when they gather for their their version of Congress. And Fred Flights, uh, I know that we've downed a, um, a, a an Iranian-made drone over Syria. Tell us what's going on. Well, I mean, look, Iran is an enemy of the United States, but this administration is obsessed with trying to get a new nuclear deal that's worse than the one that Obama struck in 2015. And, and, you know, I thought that they had given up on this after the Iranians gave weapons to the Russians to to attack in Ukraine and uh, the Russians started sending advisors to Iran to help them 
with the, the crackdown and persecution of the Iranian people. But believe it or not, over the last few weeks, there have been new signs that this administration wants to revive their efforts to, to get this new nuclear deal with, that would give billions of dollars in sanctions relief to Iran that it would use to sponsor terrorism, work on its missile and, and nuclear programs. Um, you know, I, I, I think there is, this is just an, another issue that I think there has to be strong bipartisan action to stop the administration from going down this road. Why would you presume um, that they're so focused, so committed to being in a nuclear deal with Iran? There are some people who don't think a nuclear, the, the Iranian nuclear program is a problem, or they actually think that maybe, well, because Israel has nuclear weapons, it's okay that Iran has them. I know that sounds crazy, but there are some liberals who think that. But frankly, at the end of the day, the major factor is this administration is irate that Donald Trump pulled out of Obama's nuclear deal, and they want to reverse that. They're trying to reverse everything they can that Donald Trump did. And it, 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 it's like reason doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the Iranians did. Joe Biden is determined to get back in this deal, no matter how badly the Iranians act. But fortunately, they've acted, well, maybe not fortunately, but they've acted so bad that uh, even the U.S. and its allies have not been able to strike a deal with them. Now, what's the um, the angle here uh, with the U.S. military shooting down this this drone over this oil site in Syria? What's the the uh, the benefit here? Well, I, I think Iranian drones anywhere near American forces is a big deal. But but uh, capturing this drone is useful because it will give us some idea. Of, of the drone technology being used in Ukraine and drone technology that could be used against the United States. The, the frightening thing is, from previous Iranian drones that we've obtained, uh, they're full of American technology. They're full of, uh, of, of, of American microchips and circuitry. Uh, so I, I'm hoping we'll learn a lot from this one. Now, how does that play out? Is it that they're sending their people from the Middle East over to the West to study at the best, most, you know, to MIT and other places so they can get the best of the best, and then that's how they're putting these drones together? Or do they have proxy companies in the United States that are building these things and selling it to them? How is this happening? Well, the, the problem is it's just too easy to get technology like this out of the United States. There are There's dual-use technology, technology for... Um, uh, hobby drones and, and other things mm. that we're just not doing a good job of keeping an eye on. But drones are also fairly easy to make. And, and I think as um, the technology advances, Iranian engineers can get this technology off the Internet. And I think they're also relying on, on, uh, on Russian engineers. Gotcha. So your your supposition is that this was counterterrorism, that maybe they were planning on hitting a U.S. installation that may have had troops, and they said, let's get rid of this thing because it, it presents a threat. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the purpose of that was, but I'm just glad we shot it down. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I'm just wondering, you know, is that are they also on the move against us the way the uh, Chinese are? Because it seems like we're getting it from every angle with the projection of, of weakness that Biden gives. It, it seems like it's inviting for our enemies, adversaries and everybody else that wants a piece of us to kind of like get in line, which I think is not an, an ideal situation to be in. Uh, now, Fred Flights, uh, the Iranians um, are famous for for censoring people. And it seems like 
we're, we're seeing censorship in the United States at, at new levels. Um, my uh, favorite network, Newsmax TV, is is been pushed out by by being given a very uncompetitive, unfair deal by DirecTV owned by AT&T. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, this was a deliberate effort by uh, AT&T and DirecTV to, to censor conservative views. We, we know that Democrats were, were pressing uh, these, these networks to stop carrying conservative networks. They cut off One American News. They're also pressing these networks to cut off uh, Fox News. And uh, what's what's really remarkable here is that uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we've seen left-wing groups stage boycotts for years to get their agenda forward. But we have a people power effort right now that has driven AT&T stock down. People are canceling their DirecTV subscriptions. They're fed up at this obvious effort to censor conservative voices by big tech. I think that's the only way you get to fight back against this stuff, because if if you don't hit them in the pocketbook, how else will anybody listen? Right. I mean, ultimately, that's what they respond to. But, you know, conservatives usually don't do this or they don't do it well. But look, you got to hand it to Newsmax. They have tons of articles on this on their website every day. There, there's stuff at the bottom of the screen about this on every program. I, I, you know, I'm a Newsmax TV contributor just in terms of, of full disclosure. I have spoken on Newsmax TV about this frequently. Uh, it, it is a great network. It has great commentary, and uh, they're not taking this lying down. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I think it, it's important that we, um, we definitely push back when we're pushed. Uh, otherwise, uh, I think the, the left will continue to have a stranglehold on just about everything that's happening. So if anybody that's listening tonight wants to um, chime in on that conversation, you can go to IWantNewsmax.com. IWantNewsmax.com is the website. And uh, let your voice be heard so that you can um, let your people in Congress know, let uh, DirecTV know, let AT&T know, let everybody know how you feel about your voice being silenced on their airwaves. Fred Flights, um uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Very enlightening conversation. Uh, I, I always find foreign policy to be a, a bit of a chessboard. Uh, you got to read it. It's, it's never the same way each time you look at it. You know, there's new actors and new new reasons to, to be bad actors every time you look at it. Uh, but folks like you on the front lines help us uh, stay up to speed on that. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for your support of Newsmax. Oh, you bet. Anytime. All right, folks, and there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue with um, various parts of our conversation tonight, whether it's the attack on police, workplace romance, uh, Chinese balloons, and all the craziness that's going on internationally. Plus, there's a couple of headlines I want to read to you. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So yesterday, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, you remember she had a little run-in with uh, China, right? With a a driver that was a Chinese spy. Anyway, uh, she announced her retirement and uh, and that was yesterday. And then she gave uh, some comments on it earlier. 
And uh, I think she forgot. Listen to this. Well, I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. It will be my plan. You put out the statement? I didn't know they put it out. Um, so it is what it is. I think the time has come. I have a whole other year. Uh, I have things that are underway. I expect to achieve them. I hope. And so we'll see. Now, she is incredibly sharp. This woman's nearly 90 years old. She's 89 years old. And of course, when, uh, so I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not criticizing her for forgetting, uh, not at 89 years old. I've, I've met people in, in almost 90 years old, and many of them are very sharp, but, you know, they're not a fully functioning United States senator. Most of them are retired and very sharp. You know, they're like professional talk radio callers, which is great, uh, but it's talk radio, not the United States Congress, the United States Senate. So anyway, uh, yeah, she put out the statement and then um, was asked about her retirement and said, oh, well, I haven't made the decision yet. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was terrific. And of course they had to correct her and say, no, 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 we, we put the statement out. Oh, you did. Oh, I see. Oh, good heavens. Oh, I see. Oh, yes. So anyway, um, goodbye to Diane Feinstein. And this is interesting here. Um, who did I just say? Oh, I lost this article. I got to get better at this, this navigating multiple pages here. But um, Representative Barbara Lee, there we go. She has filed paperwork to run for Bar- uh, Barbara Boxer. I'm all over the place today for Diane Feinstein's seat. And um, I think that's uh, interesting because there was all this talk that it was going to be uh, Adam Schiff. And good old Adam Schiff was going to be the main guy running to replace her. Looks like it's not going to be. California Representative Barbara Lee has uh, filed her paperwork to run for the United States Senate to replace uh, Senator Feinstein, the outgoing senator. And this would um, <clears throat> this would add uh, or at least maintain the current balance with with a Democrat. And uh, she is um, uh, any article you read, even though there's a picture of her in it, they will go out of their way to point out that she is an African-American female. And I think, you know, nowadays that's a big deal. You have to you know lead with your gender and your race as opposed to, you know, what you can do for your country and your state when running for these positions, but interesting nonetheless. Now, moving on, I also want to throw in a little something on my buddy, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who, uh, you know, he got caught with some classified documents, and apparently a lot of people have these. We we should find out if Senator Feinstein has any. We should ask uh, Representative Lee if she has any of these documents, and we should definitely ask Adam Schiff if he's got any of these. But we shall uh, find out more about that. Let me see. Uh, Do we have time for Mike Pence? All right. Listen to Mike Pence on his defense of I didn't do it. I swear. Check it out. My fight is on the separation of powers. My fight against the DOJ subpoena very simply is on on defending uh, the prerogatives that I had as president of the Senate to preside over uh, a joint session of Congress on January 6th. For me, this is a moment where you have to decide where you stand. And I stand on the Constitution of the United States. So that's Mike Pence. He says, yep, I am willing to take this fight against the Department of Justice because they're subpoenaing him in the Trump probe uh, to the Supreme Court. And uh, he's looking to fight. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not going to play ball with you guys. Keep your subpoenas. I'm not coming. Don't count on me. No cuenta conmigo que no voy. That's Spanish for don't count on me. I'm not going. Anyway, we're going to continue our discussion. Hooking up at work. 
No office place flings. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. You're listening to America at Night. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. It's hour two of the program. Welcome. Our telephone number is 8334-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to give me a follow on Instagram, I encourage you to do that. I post pictures there. It's the only place I really post pictures. Uh, But we're on all the other social media as well, at Rich Valdez. And uh, I want to remind you, because it's my job, I'm supposed to remind you about our podcast of this program. If the program's on too late, because this is late night radio and we are live. This is, uh, I think it's the only uh, news-focused commentary type of program that's nationally syndicated that's live in this time slot. Everything else is pre-taped. So uh, we've got the reach and I hope that you're listening. But if you're not able to listen, check out the podcast. That's doing really well as well. So thank you for downloading it and subscribing to it and make sure you hit that subscribe. We appreciate that. Now, a couple of quick headlines. The Department of Justice has ended their probe into Representative Matt Gates and found nothing. No charges were filed. The FBI has reportedly uh, searched University of Delaware twice for more classified documents belonging to Joe Biden, President Biden. So we will uh, keep an eye on those stories as well. Then there's this other uh, survey right here. 82% uh, of those in a workplace romance keep it secret. And that's according to a new survey. uh, And that's in Forbes magazine. And uh, here we have Washington Post. Generation Z young millennials are normalizing dating coworkers. So there's a whole lot of the office hanky-panky going on here. And to help us find out what's going on with workplace romances that seem to be on the rise, we've got the founder and chief career strategist at the Bauke Group, Julie Bauke. Welcome. Hi. Let's get into this. This is a big topic. Yeah, well, you you are the pro here. (laughs) I've never dated anybody in my workplace, uh, and I work with two guys here, and and they're not even in the same place as me. Right there in D.C., I'm in New York, so it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a challenge even for us to go out for a beer after work. So tell us what's going on with workplace romances. Uh, I've always found this an interesting topic, and I'll just preface this and then you know let you run with this. But I I remember meeting you know uh, when I was a, a kid in high school. I remember there were some teachers that were married, and you know, and I was like, oh yeah, we met on the job, we're married, it's cool, it's whatever. You know, some of them kept their their same. Uh, their their maiden name, others took the married name, but it was never a big deal. But then when I got a job and I started working in corporate America and in government and whatever, it was like a big deal. Like you can't fraternize, you can't do this. You know, and I was thinking, how do you how do you how do you have one place where there's a bunch of married couples and another place where, you know, you're not allowed to do it? To me, it only fostered an environment of people lying about it. But that's where we are today. And I guess more and more people are finding work to be their social outlet because we were in lockdown forever. Julie Bauke, take it away. 
Exactly. That's one of the, I think, two big reasons why workplace romances are on the rise. One, as you said, is that we went through this period the last few years where we weren't, we didn't see our friends. We weren't able to get out and meet new people, but we still were working. And so those, that became our, that became our circle. And then secondly, the last few years has also brought about the line between work and home is almost gone. So think back to the day when if your boss wanted to call you outside of working hours, they had to get out the white pages and look up your phone number and then call <laughs> your home line. Right. right. And nobody did that because there was this line between work and home where I got home at 530 and I didn't really think about work till the next morning unless I brought home a bag full of papers. But technology has pretty much erased that. It's not unusual to get Slack messages, texts at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so this, this, the, any sort of line between work and home has almost disappeared the last few years. And so it's natural that we're going to see all of the people in our lives kind of in the same way, whether we met them at work, whether we met them at church, whether we met them on our volleyball team, those became our community. And so, again, not surprising that Gen Z is saying, yeah, what's the big deal? How else am I supposed to meet people? Dating apps? So it's in a lot of ways, it's 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 a natural follow on of what's been going on in the last few years. Yeah. And I mean, there was a, such a clear example of this recently with uh, the, the blurring of where you work and where you do what you do with the uh, police officer in Tennessee, Megan Hall, who was having relationships oh, with all sorts yes. of officers. Right. And that's just <laughs> yeah. another example of workplace oh. fiascos. Yeah, and, and even more uh, well-known was the T.J. Holmes and Amy Robach on Good Morning America. Yeah, so they're They're very, yeah, so, so here's what I would say is, first of all, um, know your company's policies. There are about a quarter of companies have some sort of policy around workplace romance. Either we forbid it or we want to know about it. If you're doing it, we just want to be aware. And because I mean, having been in human resources and having been kind of in the workplace expertise area all these years, I get it. So first of all, if you're about to embark on some sort of relationship at work, understand what the rules are. And that, that's a start. Second, don't be a disruption. And this is where if you are having a romance with somebody at work and it is you're handling yourself like mature professionals, and you are really behaving, you know, not bringing your personal life into work and vice versa by bringing the drama to work, then, you know, it can work. But where it starts to get messy is when the emotion comes into the workplace and your romance, be it with a colleague, someone in your reporting line, a customer, when it starts to disrupt the workplace to the point that it distracts the people at, at work from doing their jobs because all they're doing is talking about, you know, talking about your romance or it starts to get messy, then mm -hmm. that's when you start making your business. It starts to become the company's business. And so yeah, and it, this it's is kind sloppy. Of that, yeah. 
Very that. sloppy. I, I remembered somebody uh, close to me was uh, for a long time, over like a year, would come home and constantly, you know, uh, reach out to me and, and tell me, you'll never guess what happened at work today. So-and-so and so-and-so started fighting. Oh. And they're always fighting. And, and they're a thing. And everybody knows they're a thing, but they say they're not a thing. And it's such a disruption oh. to the workplace. And it was just so, like, it was awkward for me to listen to the story. And I was like, oh, boy, sorry. <laughs> what kind of, well, yeah. I can't do anything to help you. But you, you brought up a great point, too, in that, the people who are having romances, whether they're married or not married or whatever it is, they all think nobody knows. And of course we know. You know, you can tell, <laughs> by the way, they look at each other, right time behind closed doors, um, how they come in and leave at the same time. It's obvious. And so everybody thinks they're all being all secret, and they're not. So you become a disruptor. Look what the T.J. Holmes, Amy Robach situation did to the workplace at Good Morning America. It sent their colleagues into an absolute tizzy, and it, it disrupted your colleagues' workplace. And so that is where I think you said, well, it's nobody's business. Well, if you can keep it just your business, good for you. And if you, But if you start to, let's say you're in the chain of command, let's say you are, you're dating your boss's boss, that's messy about 100 different ways. There's yeah. about, there's, right? I mean, there's so many ways that can go off the tracks, whether it is accusations of favoritism, bias, you get the better projects, um, you know, you, and, and what's sad is you might be an absolute stellar performer, but if you're having a relationship with your boss or your boss's boss, that really gets overlooked because everybody wants to see the negative and they say, oh, well, the only reason he or she got that assignment was you know why. And it really, it, it, it covers or it, it, it distracts from the fact that you really might be a superstar when people go to, well, you know, you know why, because people are always looking for the other reasons other than they're outperforming you. Oh no, it's because they're sleeping with so-and-so. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, unless it ends in the altar and the happily ever after, or, and, and, and or you're able to really behave professionally, it's, it, you know, it's going to, it's going to come to an end and those ends are rarely neat and clean. All right, folks, we're on with Julie Bauke, founder and chief career strategist at the Bauke Group. That's thebaukegroup.com. And stick with us. Uh, I, I want to finish this conversation by, you know, we talked about some of the ups and, you know, making sure you've crossed your I's and dotted your T's or the other way around. And uh, I want to talk about some of the downside when this stuff really goes awry and what you've seen in, in, your, uh, in your practice. So don't go anywhere. It's Julie Bauke and me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, uh, the phone number if you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Our guest is Julie Bauke, founder and chief career strategist at The Bauke Group. You can check her out at thebaukegroup.com. And earlier, uh, you'd mentioned, Julie, about um, T.J. Holmes. And uh, I'm reading an article here. There's 
there was three more people besides uh, the initial person that say they've had affairs with this guy. So apparently he was very active in his um, workplace flings. And clearly one of the downsides of that is, you know, you can get fired. <laughs> uh, what are some of the other downsides? So what I always say, so I said there's three tips. My third one is this. Have your plan B ready. Because it is, you know, you could get fired if you're, if what you are doing is causing a great disruption at work. Organizations will look at who are the people involved and they will look at you and say, okay, who can, you know, kind of who can we live without? Sometimes they'll let both people go because their work has, maybe they lost a client because of it. You know, so they look at what are the, are the real ramifications here and they might let you go. They might let both of you go, one of you go, and you have to always be ready. If you are going to embark on that, on some sort of office romance, I think you have to be ready to, what are you going to do if the worst thing happens, if it blows up? I know story after story of people who are at work, they're having a relationship. One of them, I mean, how many romances do you know of your friends or in your life where everybody decided on the same day that it wasn't going to work? One person always makes the decision, <laughs> right? right? One person always says, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And sometimes the other person says, okay. And then everybody goes back to the way it was. But that's rare because we're human and there's a lot of emotion involved in this. So with the risk is you're in this, you're in this relationship. The person you're with relationship says, you know, I don't want to see you anymore. The other person doesn't take it well. I know people who've gotten fired for stalking because Ooh. they wouldn't let it go. They kept, you know, stopping by their office. They made it really uncomfortable. I've had, I worked with clients who were in situations where uh, they, um, it, they made it really difficult for the person to do their job. They gave them a bad performance review, hoping they would leave. In other words, they retaliated in some way based on their position in the company to get the person to leave. And I've known people who've been fired for it. And so you think you're being subtle. You think you have control of your emotions. You think you can handle it. But the minute that things don't go well, if you're not going to be able to go back to the way things were, set, draw that line between work and home and act as a professional and let your former partner do the same, you are risking your career and your reputation. And you just mentioned the case, the TJ Holmes case. So mm -hmm. now that this has come out, and he apparently they are still seeing each other, but now that this has come out, it is unearthed, as you said, all these other relationships. Yeah. Now, <laughs> all of a sudden, right, so now he might be the best journalist on the planet. No clue. He might be, if he was. But that's not what people think of when they think of him. And it comes to my favorite word when it comes to workplace workplace topics, and my J word is judgment. You mm. exhibit for judgment. And that goes from everything to showing up on Monday morning, talking about how drunk you were all weekend, to having multiple inner office romances. And the, your employer is looking at you and saying, huh, can we trust this person in front of a big and important client? And you know, they know. Not. They yeah. always know. And, yeah. And so I am just always been really big on you have to manage yourself. You have to Keep an eye on your reputation. You have to keep an eye on the decisions that you're making. You have to take a long view and say, how is what I'm doing, the decisions I'm making today, in a variety of, in, in all these different types of decisions I make, 
what kind of impact are these going to have on my career and on getting what I want out of my career? And not that any of us are without mistakes, because I've certainly made my share, but it's just... I do them every day. I'm really good at mistakes. Uh, Me too. You know, I I hope they get smaller and smaller as I get a little (laughs) more wisdom, but, um, you know, it's... you know, it, it's it's you have to you have to look at all of that, and now especially with technology and social media, I mean the mistakes I made in my twenties and thirties, nobody probably remembers because there was no record of it anywhere. Now right. you go out, you do a stupid TikTok about your employer, or post something on Instagram, or accidentally post something in Slack that goes to all employees instead of just your buddy. You know, so or or reply ways. all, right? <laughs> right, exactly. There's so many ways it can go wrong, and these things will haunt you. And you know, we don't have the benefit of when we're in our 20s. We just don't have the benefit of that wisdom, and everything is everything is recorded now forever, and seems to never go away. And so, it's more important than ever that you you say, you know, uh, uh, this is it's called my career for a reason which means I'm in charge of it and I have to make good decisions every day and I have to own up to my mistakes. And if I am going to have an inner office romance and it doesn't go well and you know, how do I recover from that and not make that mistake again? Now, when you're giving advice to people, clients of yours, um, do you often is do you err on the side of look, don't do it. Uh, or do you give them the ground rules or do you tell them, you should just quit your job or find it. Look, go somewhere else. (laughs) Like what, what is your, your typical go-to that you've done in, in your career in a situation like that? Okay. Like what would you advise TJ Holmes to do? Yeah. So the first, the first, yeah, I I think he needs to, I think he maybe needs to go another direction, get out of the public eye for a while and rebuild his reputation someplace else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you can come back from that. Um, And so it, in the, if you if you're if I was talking to a client who said, "Look, I, I want to start dating somebody at work," I'd say, "What department are you in? Do you, does your department cross function with the other with your partner's department ever? In other words, are you working very separately? In that case, it's much less risky. But if it's your boss or your boss's boss or it's a major customer, let's say you're the account manager of a major customer, and your your liaison with that customer, in other words. If that goes south, the company could lose the account. Then right. I'd say, look, the downside is way too great here. You, know, you right. have to, you know, you, one of you needs to maybe request a transfer, or you know, maybe request you make make your company aware of it and request a transfer, because it's it's not it's probably not going to end well unless there's you know happily ever after. But sometimes when you're in the public eye, one of the best things you can do, and I've worked with people who've been fired for crazy, highly visible reasons. And I say, you've got to, you've got to get out of the public eye. You've got to make a little bit of a career pivot and you've got to start rebuilding your reputation, utilizing the contacts and the people you know who really love you, who want to give you a second chance. And people are very forgiving if you own up to your mistakes. Yeah, you got to own it. Julie Bauke is founder and chief career strategist at the Bauke Group, thebaukegroup.com. Julie, thank you for joining us tonight. Anytime. Take care. You bet. I enjoyed it. All right. The War on Cops. We're going to talk about that and more. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez.
877-833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, we're back. Our telephone number, 833-4VALDEZ. And I'm at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to talk about this, uh, the, the push on cops. There's always uh, an attack, really. I mean, it seems like there's always an attack. And you guys know me. I'm pretty partial to the cops. My, uh, as a kid in Brooklyn, my brothers were on the job, NYPD. And uh, when I, all I wanted to do was be a cop when I was a kid. And as I got older, they said, no, no, Richie, do this, do that. You're, you're good at talking, go into sales, go into this, do that. And I did a lot of things, but uh, I didn't become uh, a cop. And it was always stuck with me. So when I was old enough, I remember my daughter once came home with a, a, a mug, like a sketch uh, of somebody that was offering little kids money to get in his car. And I lived in a small town in Jersey, Nutley, New Jersey. And, uh, the next day there, the police department had all these signs saying, help the police join our police reserve. And uh, it was an abbreviated police academy. It was like three months long instead of the six months. And so I did that. I used to drive the police car. And it was really cool. I did use of force training. And uh, I, you know, parade duty and stuff like that, some court duty, never anything major. Uh, you know, I always said I was a very glorified uh, um, crossing guard. <laughs> but, um, you know, helping the guys who are really doing the job. But I, I have nothing but respect for those in law enforcement. And it's always a shame when they're under attack. Now, granted, like with that story um, uh, that came out of, uh, uh, what state was that in, that Tyree case? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody remembers. Memphis. There we go. <clears throat> uh, it, that was a horrible story. And those guys, you know, were giving all cops a bad name. But by and large, the people that, that serve in uniform, the men and women that are out there risking their lives, they do an amazing job. But yet they're constantly under pressure from Democrat lawmakers with ties to the defund the police movement that are always trying to to just disarm them and to just make them weaker and weaker and remove qualified immunity. And I said, you know what, we got, we got to get to the bottom of this. So I wanted to bring in an expert to really talk about, you know, some of the headlines that, that we're looking at right now uh, about some of the cops that have been shot and killed, because I think this is a big deal. And I want to welcome Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's spokesperson for the National Police Association. Welcome, Sarge. Hey, thank you so much for having me to talk about something that is so important and should be on more people's minds, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, Sergeant Brantner Smith, let's talk about this this first case. I have one in front of me here. Uh, horrible story about Officer Sean Slagonsky. Since his death, we've had five police officers killed by gunfire already like this year in 2023. So we also had a sixth officer uh, that just succumbed to his injuries. Wow. Um, two days ago, he was chasing carjackers in Colorado, and during the foot pursuit, he fell off the overpass, and he just succumbed oh, to his man. injuries um, two days ago. So we've already had six police officers um, killed feloniously, and uh, the officer that you're talking about, um, was he was uh, uh, actually a high-ranking officer in his agency, and uh, and it's so incredibly frustrating because... You know, we, t we tend to talk about officers who get uh, killed, but we've had nearly 40 police officers shot already this year. Um, and in fact, the number of officers shot so far this year are up 113 percent compared to the officers shot in 2020. 
And I, I want to point out, too, to folks that at least, uh, again, so far this year, we've had 10 police officers shot in ambush-style attacks. So there truly is a war on cops in this country, and uh, and we don't seem to be getting a handle on it because, uh, you know, well, there's many reasons for that that you and I can talk about, um, but people... You know, the American public, you pull them time after time after time. They continue to have confidence in American law enforcement. They continue to have care and concern for cops, not just our physical safety, but for our mental well-being. Um, but we can't seem to get the political class to come along with uh, with the American public on their desire to keep American law enforcement safe. Uh, folks, we're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, spokesperson for the National Police Association. And uh, we're going to discuss uh, a little bit more about what's going on and the impact that the uh, defund the police movement is still having on on law enforcement as a whole, plus a couple of headlines when we return. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. in these situations is that when they happen, the response used to be, well, now is not the time to talk about gun safety laws. We've kind of moved away from that, but we've moved to a slightly fatalistic, well, none of the laws would have actually prevented this particular shooting. And it's become almost an excuse not to do anything. On, and you, you kind of think what's happened in this country, and you look at that list of things that Joe Biden wants to do, particularly banning assault weapons, what's happened in America since the 1990s when Republicans voted in favor of that? I mean, it was what, what has changed in this country? And you only have to think that it's, it's the Republican Party that has moved the country away right. from being able to implement things that the majority of the country wants. All right. I'm not sure if it's Caddy or Katie, but uh, Katie K or Caddy K. She's uh, from the BBC News. She's a special correspondent there. She was on the morning joke today uh, with uh, Joke Scarborough talking about gun control laws and that the majority of the country wants, uh, but they just can't be implemented because of the evil GOP. And whatever happened to the Republicans of the 1990s that wanted to ban guns, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith is our guest, spokesperson for the National Police Association. Uh, do you think gun control is really the problem here? Well, let's take a look at what just happened at Michigan State University um, a couple of nights ago in uh, mm -hmm. East Lansing, Michigan. We had a 43-year-old uh, man who went and, uh, for, for no apparent reason, we can't seem to find a motive, um, sh shot and killed three people, uh, critically wounded five others. Um, now, would, what would gun control have done in that situation? Well, in 2019, the police did a, a stop and frisk on this man, a legal stop and frisk, patted him down, talked to him, said, do you have a gun? He said, yeah, I do. I have a loaded gun. I don't have a permit. So they arrested him. They charged him with two felonies. And what did the woke 
George Soros installed prosecutor in that county do? She let him plead down to a misdemeanor. Instead of the five years in prison he should have gotten, he got uh, probation. At the end of his probation, he was able to go out and legally purchase another firearm so that he could attack students at Michigan State. We don't need more gun control. We need to use the laws that we have on the books and punish people who violate those laws, like Mr. McRae, who shot up the campus two nights ago. And I have a hundred of those very similar examples. And this is an excellent point, uh, because, again, th- this man went on to shoot people at MSU. Um, he could have easily have been at least banned from passing a background check, so he would have had to have bought the gun illegally. Uh, it wouldn't have had access. And everybody wants to say, oh, but you got to do background checks. How about just enforcing the law, like what you're pointing out? How about just locking people up when they violate the law, and this way we know who the bad guys are, we kind of keep them in jail, or at least keep a record of them <laughs> without saying, oh, no, let's let this guy go. We'll, we'll wait till he kills some people. We'll bring him back. And that happens all the time in New York and other places where they have this no-cash bail and these woke prosecutors that are really, in my opinion, they're like pro-crime prosecutors where they don't prosecute anything. Well, they really are. We're under an atmosphere of what uh, what these prosecutors and these activists call restorative justice. So we're that what they want to do is use the justice system to get uh, almost reparation like um, a, a reparation like atmosphere for people who are criminals. And the problem that we have, and of course, this really this started in 2014, and which is where the war on cops started in Ferguson, Missouri with the legal shooting of a young man named Michael Brown, who was trying to disarm a Ferguson, Missouri police officer. Um, But the way that the Obama administration came in and treated that case, even though they had their own, Obama's own DOJ had to eventually, uh, eventually admit that Michael, the shooting of Michael Brown was justified. Let's not forget that just last week at the state of the union address, uh, president Joe Biden had Michael Brown's father sitting with him with the father and mother of Tyree Nichols. Now, Tyree Nichols was the young man killed in Memphis by five former police officers. And that is a horrible case. That's not police culture. That's criminal culture. But to have those poor people who really are the victims of uh, the criminal justice system in Memphis to sit next to the father of a thug who had just done a strong arm robbery and then tried to disarm a cop. Um, I have a real problem with that. This this atmosphere of re- restorative justice has led to de-prosecution, de-policing, and now the de-incarceration of real criminals. And the American public is paying the price for it now when you look at our crime rates all around this nation. Yeah, and this is really un- unfortunate, in my opinion, because— we can avoid so much of these things, but yet we, we choose to bring them on. We choose to, to continue the, the status quo. And I think this is where we, we fail. Now, Sarge, let's talk a little bit about the, um, these woke policies and, and the impact that we're continuing to see, whether it's from the pro-crime prosecutors or uh, from the actual like 
defund the police movement uh, that, that was once alive and well. And I think it, it began to fizzle when people said, you know, we can't get elected on this. It's very difficult in most districts to get <laughs> right. elected on on destroying the police. Uh, but uh, is it still as prevalent as it once was or are we winning the battle? What say you? Well, what's happening is, you know, they, the defund the police um, movement started to be walked back when we got closer to the election last November. Um, but then, it, it, you know, that didn't really do any good for the Republicans. That was uh, that that whole election kind of fizzled for the most part. So now we're seeing some resurrection of the defund the police movement. But we're also seeing things like, for example, uh, in California, there is a new law. Uh, that just became available to read yesterday. They're trying to get this passed where they're trying to do away with police canines. So police dogs, police, you know, and, and they talk about, oh, police dogs are from the civil rights era and they're racist. Dogs are colorblind, by the way. And um, um, <laughs> they're they're trying to use this as a racial Issue In reality, what I believe they're doing is they're trying to take away one more less lethal tool from American law enforcement. They're going to chip away at the tools that we have to protect not only ourselves, but again, to protect the American public. So the defund the police movement is not quite as vocal in all areas, but there are still so many legislators, activist legislators who are trying to do things to damage American law enforcement. And it's so bizarre because what they end up doing is damaging their own constituents. It's just that a lot of their constituents don't realize the damage that these politicians are causing. And it's very frustrating. Excellent point. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith is the spokesperson for the National Police Association. And straight ahead, we're going to hear a little bit more about the work that she's doing with the National Police Association. Plus, after that, we're going to talk about uh, the laws that are being put in place to protect children from sex changes. Uh, Apparently, there are a lot of people that are looking to do sex changes on minors, and certain states are putting uh, legislation into effect saying, look, you can't do it while they're minors. So we're going to talk about that at the top of the next hour. And if you want to join that conversation, we'll be discussing that during Open Phone America. And the phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We're coming back to Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, spokesperson for the National Police Association. And uh, just an update here. Uh, Several hours ago, there was a shooting at a mall in Cielo Vista, El Paso area of Texas. And one person is dead. Three people are injured. And two suspects are now in custody, uh, according to the police. Now, this mall is located right next to the Walmart where 23 people were killed in a racist shooting back in August of 2019 where they were shooting Hispanics. Uh, So it looks like a pretty tough part of town. 
and just wanted to give you a quick update on that. Now, Sarge, I don't know if you want to add anything to that shooting, uh, but I also want to know a little bit more about the work that you're doing at the National Police Association. Well, we are a uh, we're a charity. You know, we're not a union. You know, it sounds like we're a police union or something. We're not. We're what we do is we bring attention to all of the anti-police efforts that are challenging effective American law enforcement in this country. You know, we finally decided that, you know, after 2014, that we had to do something about this war on cop because there's so much propaganda out there that police are the problem. So we we have a website, nationalpolice.org. We do mailings. We do uh, national TV and radio public service announcements. We do legal filings, uh, whether it's a Supreme Court case where we file an amicus brief on a case that might be uh, problematic for law enforcement officers to do their jobs. Or uh, right now we're in litigation with the Biden administration because they're ignoring our FOIA requests um, about the uh, Border Patrol whipping case. If everybody remembers, Joe Biden accused Border Patrol agents of whipping Haitian migrants. Um, And even though it's been found out, you know, for a long time that these agents did nothing of the sort, we wanted to just get the correspondence from the Biden administration to find out why the president turned this into such an issue uh, that really shouldn't have been, and they're ignoring us. So we're in litigation with them. Um, I have a show on Pluto and the First TV, streaming on the First TV, and on our YouTube channel called the NPA Report, where I talk to uh, various leaders in and around our profession. We have a team of authors that write original articles. I encourage everybody to go to our website, nationalpolice.org, and click on, I mean, look at everything, but click on our wall of shame, where we're, mm. we are calling out judges, we are calling out prosecutors who are making it hard for law enforcement officers to help themselves and to help the victims of violent crime in this country. People would be really surprised uh, by what they read there. We have a wonderful team of authors and researchers, and, uh, and we do it all with donations. Uh, we have a Thank a Cop billboard program that you can see all around this country. When you see those Thank a Cop billboards, that's us at nationalpolice.org. And uh, we enjoy supporting the men and women who put their lives on the line every day, every night in this country. Outstanding work that you're doing at the National Police Association. If you want to learn more about them, visit nationalpolice.org. Uh, Our guest is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, again, the spokesperson there at the National Police Association. And uh, Sarge, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing and for being here tonight and really enlightening us on a lot of things. Uh, The music means they're kicking me out of here, but I want to invite you back so that we can continue this discussion in the future. I can't wait. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America. I see some calls are already coming in. We're going to get to all of that and more. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Open phones start right now. the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337, and you're always welcome to listen on the uh, Legacy Hotline, 866-505-4626. And I want to get into a bunch of things in this final and third hour of the program where um, you are welcome to join. And again, you're welcome in the first two hours as well. It's just it's got to be more topical and there's less opportunities because the guests are are sharing all of their expertise. Uh, But uh, I I want to uh, get your take on a lot of different things. There's a bunch of news out there today. And you're welcome to chime in on any topic. This is a late night town hall forum. And um, and unique in many ways. So uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Now, there's a couple of headlines that I want to go over. There, there is a, a several states are adding new laws onto the books. Uh, these laws are designed to protect children from any type of genital mutilation, whether it's a mastectomy or castration or anything like that related to what they want to call on the left um, and even some in in science, you know, when they say follow the science, they call it gender affirming care. Yeah, of course, it affirms the gender that they're choosing to, to have, not the gender that they were biologically born with. And I know there's a lot of people that take exception to that, but we have to be realistic when you're talking about young children that have been subjected to um, taking hormones and parents are being put into these situations where they're blackmailed, in essence, where they say, look, you are either going to uh, choose between a, you know, let's say you have a son that wants to transition to become a daughter. They can say you can have a dead son or a living daughter. It's up to you. And and this is how they're getting parents to, to jump on board. Just imagine a choice like that as a parent. This is a horrible thing. But uh, in Wyoming, in the legislature, they just recently had a a hearing to consider their parental rights, uh, parental bill of rights. And Ohio is also considering a similar type of law. And we have a clip from one of the folks that testified there, uh, a young lady named Luca Hine, who is a detransitioner. She had transitioned to be a male and realized it really wasn't what she wanted and, and kind of gets into how um, how severe it was for her. And we have a clip of that. Listen to this. At 16, the very first medical intervention I ever had was a double mastectomy. And a few months later, I was put on cross-sex hormones, both through UNMC, through Dr. Amora. As a result of this so-called gender-affirming care, if you could even call it care, at 21, I deal with constant joint pain. My breasts are gone, and I do not know if I will ever be able to carry a child someday. I will deal with these consequences for possibly the rest of my life, never knowing if they'll go away and feeling abandoned by the medical professionals who did this to me. My parents were baited with the threat of me committing suicide despite the fact I maintained I was never suicidal. They were told, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? These are not the words of a medical professional, but the words of an activist. I was just a teenager who needed actual help, not surgery. I needed that chance to grow up safe and whole. 
but it was taken away from me in the name of gender affirming care. Now, this is a, I think this is a huge deal, right? And this was at the, the um, hearing in Wyoming where they're proposing this legislation to protect children, this uh, parental bill of rights. And I believe they're doing it again in, in Ohio. This is a big deal. And, and, and kudos to uh, Luca Hine for making those statements at the hearing so that people that are weighing in on this and saying, you know, we're thinking of passing this into law uh, at a state legislature can say, wow, we're hearing from somebody who went through this. Everybody who seems to be promoting it and say love is love and this is that and, you know, they really are a man, they really are a woman, whatever and what have you. All of that, um, these people are, are just taking a position on things just like I am. I can't sit here and say I've ever transitioned to anything, you know, not, not like that. No, you know, I've transitioned from one job to another. <laughs> I've never, never transitioned from one gender to another. And, and obviously this is a big deal when you have somebody that's gone through it and can tell you, look, this is the real deal. And when we look at the staggering and alarming rates of people who endure this process um, and, and their suicide rates, it's, it's just, it's hurtful and people should be more, 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 concerned with the humanity of the individual and saying, we want these people to be well. Forget about, you know, living trans child or, or dead biological child. No. I think these false equivalencies are, are what's destroying so much of our society where people create these, these syllogisms or false equivalencies to, to try and corner you into really picking what they want you to pick. And lamentably, this is hurting people because children are at stake. Anyway, we'll go to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Let us go to Al in Kalispell, Montana, uh, listening online. Al, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank, thank you, Rich, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Um, yeah, I'm not uh, the Montana State Assembly has proposed or is approving, I'm not sure what the status is, I'm sorry, a bill barring uh, gender-changing surgery with children. Mm. Well, and thank God yeah, they have. And let me tell you, I think every state in the union needs to do that. I mean, just imagine the, 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 the state of affairs that we're currently in where you have 10-year-olds, 9-year-olds. Uh, you you got to realize they're, they're coming in pre-puberty. So if they're 8, 9, 10, you know, sometimes they're talking about 3-year-olds that are identifying as whatever. Uh, I, I didn't have time to send it to the production team, but on my Instagram story, if you want to go check it out, it's still up there right now. Uh, there's a mom who's kind of like bragging about how, yeah, so, you know, when she was whatever, she started acting a lot like her older sister, and that's when we realized, you know, she she's really identifying as a girl. The she she's talking about is her son, who enjoyed wearing uh, his sister's dresses and shoes and whatever. I mean, I don't think that's entirely uncommon for little kids to play dress-up or whatever, and you, you, you kind of walk them through it. It's a small kid, four years old. And this mom was like almost giving herself a pat on the back, was almost proud that, hey, I got to go through this with my kid. It is a bizarre state of affairs that we're in. Al, uh, how do you feel about this law? I feel that, you know, once the kid turns 21 or 18, they can go out and stick mashed potatoes in their ears, and I don't care. Yeah. You know, but 
one day bubble gum, the next day lollipops, and the next day ice cream that shouldn't even be in their uh, radar. You're right. I mean, how could we allow, we don't allow them to do so many things. You can't let a kid drive a car at 14, 13, 12, 8, or 9, but we're going to allow them to decide uh, what they identify as and how they feel, at, you know, and getting these irreversible surgeries in many ways. I mean, you can always get an implant and a fake breast if you've had a mastectomy, but you can't get your real breast back. That means you're not going to breastfeed your children. You're not going to be, be able to, you know, that's part of the, the reproductive system. And, and it's, um, and the one woman, you heard what she said. She said she doesn't feel her chest at all. She has no feeling in her chest. I mean, so these are things that I think are serious and have to be taken seriously. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think, you know, you, you have to let a child reach their age of accountability in order to make these decisions and, and offering them puberty blocking drugs. Um, I grabbed a, a link to something and we'll play it on tomorrow's show because there was a like a cartoon about this gender blocking um, drugs, these puberty blockers, excuse me, uh, for, for gender, what they call gender affirming care. And it was in the form of a cartoon, and it was basically like saying, you know, if you don't know who you are, you don't have to know who you are. You can get puberty blockers, and this way you'll have time to decide. And I mean, you're talking about stopping the natural order of things, stopping what God intended, and I think that's just uh, horrible. So, Al, I want to thank you for your call and for listening on KOFI Online. I do appreciate it, and a big shout-out to everybody in Kalispell, Montana. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Uh, a lot more to discuss. Again, the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, here with you straight till 1 a.m., keeping you company. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S on all of the social media. By the way, make sure you check out the podcast. If you've missed any of the interviews or any of our open phone uh, Across America segments, you can catch them all. There's a replay every single day. The amazing team in the studio, make sure that that stuff goes up. We wrap up at 1 o'clock Eastern, and and that stuff is up, I don't know, usually by 2 a.m. Um, it, it's, it's available and um, you can listen to it and check it out and subscribe to it absolutely free. Now, I want to cover a couple of stories here because there's some interesting news out there. <clears throat> Let us see. What, what was the story I was looking at here? All right. This is a good one. <clears throat> and we're going to continue with this uh, gender stuff um, because I think it's important. We have uh, our Ash, the Assistant Secretary for Health, which... When you hear assistant secretary, oftentimes throws people off because they think, oh, this person's not. No, they're actually the highest medical person in the United States government is the ASH. The Surgeon General reports to the ASH and the ASH reports uh, kind of like a dotted line to, to the White House and to the um, 
the the secretary uh, of health and uh, for HHS. But um, the ash is always a medical officer, and they're like the chief medical officer of the entire country, uh, which is interesting um, because you know the title is unassuming. But Rachel Levine, also formerly known as Richard Levine, the commissioner of health for the state of Pennsylvania before Biden tapped him to be our top doctor. Uh, he, uh, yesterday in Florida, said that parental rights, these laws prevent kids from finding one supportive adult that's not always the parent. Now, this is fascinating to me because Rachel Levine, of course, is transgender, uh, but who are you to tell me that the parents are wrong? Now, again, I'm making a case against child protection. Yeah, in many ways I am. And I've I've worked in that at the state level. But I'm going to tell you that I think nobody knows what's best for their kid but for the parents. And in situations of abuse and neglect, then somebody needs to, to, to step in. And typically the protocol in there is you give it to the other spouse or to, to a grandparent or a, an aunt or somebody in the family that will take care of children while the parents are going through whatever drama they're going through, right? And uh, speaking of parents with drama, there's a crazy story that I'm going to share with you after this one. But this individual, the uh, Assistant Secretary for Health, Rachel Levine, says that kids need support from an adult and it's not always going to be the parent. And I think that's absurd. Now, if he's making the case that not everybody has a parent, some people have a guardian, some people have, listen, I get it. That that kind of goes without saying, right? We've been hearing parent or guardian for a million years. What he's saying is that it could be a doctor, it could be a teacher, it could be somebody who's encouraging them to change their gender when they're before puberty, prepubescent. This is insane. Check this out. One example would be the quote unquote, don't say gay law in Florida. You know, studies show that one supportive adult, one supportive adult for an LGBTQI plus kid can make all the difference in terms of, of preventing accurate. suicide. And what's not accurate about what he's saying, he says, quote unquote, don't say gay law. He might be quoting members of the media in Florida, but he's not quoting the law. The word gay doesn't appear in the uh, parental rights law in Florida, which they've called, critics of the law have called the don't say gay law. All right, I don't know if we have to re-rack that or play it from where it was, but we can go back to it now. In terms of, of them being able to navigate the world and to, to adulthood and leading a, a, you know, a happy, successful, productive life. One supportive adult. I'd love if that was always the parent, but it's not always a parent. Frequently, it's a teacher. Um, or a guidance counselor or some other or coach or another school personnel. This law forbids kids essentially from, uh, from talking to, to, to these people. And also it, it means that, the, that if you tell a teacher, the teacher has to tell the parent. And so it really is, is a gag rule. It's a gag law um, to, to, help, uh, that, that, to prevent kids from accessing supportive adults. This has got to be one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Preventing kids from, no, it literally, it's not a gag law. It's literally saying that the teacher has to talk to the parent. It's an anti-gag law. It's a, let's talk about this law. It's a transparency law. It's a bill that protects children and parents law. This guy is a freak. This guy is a phony. He's a fraud and he should be fired. Let's go to your calls. Uh, let's see here. Who are we going to go to first? We've got... Carolyn in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, listening on 98.1. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hello. Welcome. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? Wonderful. Um, thank you. I'd like, 
good. Um, I agree. Number one, children are not ready physically, mentally, emotionally to even think about those things. It's it's not even in their purview unless it's suggested because uh, children are born as a blank slate. They learn from their environment, from the people environment. Most people, they don't pay attention to what's going on. The kids are in the room. When I was a kid, Children are seen and not heard. Get out of here. You weren't allowed right. to be in the room with the adults. And secondly, whether you believe in God or not, first of all, God is love. That's what the definition of love is, God. Uh, and that's another subject. But everybody deserves love, yes. But love has nothing to do with the physical uh, at all. People express a lot of things in different ways. So... And they uh, mistake the definition and the actual uh, meaning of real love. Love thy neighbor. Love each other. Care. It's it's caring. So uh, when you care about another soul, that's what real love really is. Everybody deserves a hug, you know, and a kiss. It feels good. You you get those endorphins. But that's not the long term. So I like chocolate ice cream, but, you know, not everybody does. And yeah. when I was a kid, it was okay to be a boy and a girl, and marriage was between a man and a woman. It's even, you know, designated in the Bible. Uh, the Lord even says that, you know, a man is not to wear and and act like a woman. He's not effeminate is the actual word in the scripture. Um, I, I, I looked it up because someone said, what if your kids, you know, what if they do it? I said, well, I'll tell you what, I love my kids. But I would certainly talk them out of it and deter them from it and and help them as much as possible. I would still show them love. I I know a lot of people. I'm not supposed to judge. God says judge not. So I can't judge you. But uh, you got a monkey on your back. And uh, everybody needs to band together because the world went crazy. You're right. 100% right on that one, Carolyn. Uh, I agree with you. And I want to thank you for calling in from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, WNTK. I appreciate that. And it, it, what you're saying reminds me of this headline. Check this out. Christian teacher fired by California school district for refusing to hide a student's gender transition from the student's parents. So they were firing teachers uh, because of their faith or because they've shared the truth of what's going on with this child, with the child's parents. Out of control. Your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez. We're going to do Open Phone America for another half hour, so don't go anywhere. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. I want to um, finish this this article here that I wanted to share with you. The headline again, Christian teacher fired by California school district for refusing to hide students' gender transitions from the students' parents. And uh, 
the uh, subhead here is the district can't accommodate your, this is what they told her, the district cannot accommodate your religious beliefs that prohibit you from maintaining a student's gender identity and refraining from disclosing a student's gender identity from his, her, their parents slash guardians. That's uh, her the reason for her termination. And uh, the teacher, Jessica Tapia, is now a former teacher at the Jarupa Unified School District, blew the whistle and said that she had to pick between being a teacher and being a Christian, saying, quote, I knew immediately in my gut, in my heart, in my soul that there was a decision I had to make because, you know, these two things were totally butting heads, she said. I essentially had to pick one. I am going to obey the directives in the district that are not li- uh, that are not lining up with my own beliefs, convictions, or faith. This is a question she's posing. Or am I going to stay true to my faith, choose to be obedient, and the way the Lord has called me to live? And so it was crazy in the position I was in where I realized that I couldn't be a Christian and a teacher. Now, Ms. Tapia, a phys ed teacher, also banned, quote, male genitals from the girls' locker room going against Jarupa Uniform School District's policy to allow students to use whichever uh, locker room facility corresponded with how they identified. The termination letter from the superintendent, um, Trenton Hansen, blatantly put that the district won't accommodate Tapia's religious beliefs. The district cannot accommodate your religious beliefs that prohibit you from maintaining a student's gender identity and refraining from disclosing a student's gender identity from his, her, or their parents, is what it read. Consequentially, uh, the district will release you from your employment effective at the end of the day on January 31st, 2023. So that was two weeks ago. Uh, such policies prohibiting teachers from sharing information about a student's gender identity or transition have been sprouting up across the U.S. Alaska, Hawaii, Illinois, and Washington, D.C. are among states that um, have similar rules in place. So this is where Tapia has found herself, Ms. Tapia, the teacher. And uh, it's unfortunate, but, you know, it is what it is. This is where she's at, and maybe she could file a lawsuit. She could continue to fight, but it's a difficult place to be. And I want to continue your calls because I see a lot of people want to chime in on this particular topic. Uh, Let us go to uh, Phil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. Phil, go right ahead. Um, Yes. um, I just wanted to say that I think it's ridiculous, like on TV, every show, every movie, there's this agenda of the LGBTQ um, and, and it's like, um, I don't know, like, I feel like, um, when I watch TV, like I want to be entertained. I don't want to be lectured constantly. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Phil, you bring up an interesting point and this is a point we discussed on this program. I remember, um, it was a few months ago when the former head of Disney, not, um, uh, whoever it is now who's back, uh, Iger, but the, the previous head was, saying that because they they had a child that was transgender that they said you know what we need to have at least 50% of our disney characters uh, and our programming 50% have to represent um the lgbtq plus ia plus spectrum and and i thought to myself i listen 
I, I just talk to people, right? I talk to a lot of people in lots of places. I'm going to ask you right now. Do 50% of your friends identify as LGBTQIA? No, no, they don't. Yet most people's friends don't. So most people, when they get up and live their lives, they're not seeing half of America is not transsexual. Half of America isn't gay. And I'm not saying that they should be or shouldn't be. I'm just making a clear statement that they're not. The The homosexual movement is is, is in the minority. And to, to suggest that programming on television or radio or anywhere else needs to match this magic number that they've come up with of 50%, this is why you're seeing every show have someone that represents this group. And again, uh, uh, when it feels like it's being pushed on you, it's because it is. It's not even representative of the actual population, Phil. So when, you know, to me, that's my argument. And again, I I don't know that it's fantasy land, right? So I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but I'm just saying if you're saying you're doing it to match the reality of art imitating life, it's not. It's not true. It's not really happening. Do they have a prerogative? Uh, yes, go ahead and have your prerogative. Uh, my, my point is, d- don't make it seem like you're doing this to, to kind of match what's going on. Or when they say, well, we need a police department that looks like this. Or we, listen, we really need to, to focus on Dr. Martin Luther King's idea of we focus on the content of one's character, right? Not the color of their skin, not the orientation of their gender, because once we do, I think we're going on a very slippery slope where we're going to end up in a very bad place. At least that's my thought, Phil. The whole thing of it is, I remember in the 90s, they went the opposite way and they didn't discuss like any gay people on TV at all. And I thought that that was also wrong. But now it's like so oversaturated with it. They've completely gone the opposite way with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think they do that to make up. For, all, for that era where you couldn't say or do anything. And, and I, I, I agree with you. Listen, I think um, entertainment in general, art has to imitate life. It just does. You know, whether it's music, whether it's this, um, you, you want to maintain your standards of living. You want to maintain your standards of morality. Uh, so if, you know, something seems outside of the norm, then you're going to call it out and not, not uh, participate, not appreciate it, not engage with it. But you, you also don't want to to be false, right? I think, you know, if there's something going on, I mean, I'm a big fan of hip hop music. Uh, I don't support the shooting of police or anything like that. But again, it was art imitating life. There were gangsters that were shooting cops. So these guys were rapping about it. And, and, and that's, that's a reality, right? I get on the radio every day and I'm not rapping, but I'm talking about the news of the day, giving my commentary and opinions on it. And we analyze these things together. So I I think television, uh, that interpretation, uh, that form of media, that, that uh, art form is the same as, as others in the respect where it's going to be their art, you know, imitating real life. And, and I think, you know, it's not something that you should totally forget, but I also don't think we should, you know, glorify Alfred Kinsey either. You want to make a movie super, you know, people will know who he is, but uh, I don't know that we want to start naming every, you know, boy or girl that's born in the year 2024 Kinsey, you know, in honor of this crazy man that promotes pedophilia. So uh, I think there, we have to be prudent and judicious in the things that we do. Anyway, Phil, I appreciate the call. Uh, let's see. Let us continue. Good, good, great calls tonight. Let's go to David in San Francisco. David, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, yeah, how are you, Rich? Uh, I'm just going to tie this uh, issue to what uh, the big uh, pollution issue up in East Palestine, uh, Ohio, 
uh, the fumes from off of that, uh, they should take every pregnant woman, uh, woman uh, within 30 miles of that stench uh, and, and get them further away, get them back to clean air. Because there are books, uh, there was a book that was written just around the turn of the century called Our Stolen Future. And it talked about how pregnant mothers, uh, if they were near benzene or formaldehyde, and cheap carpet pads have both benzene and formaldehyde, and they, this, the fumes off of that uh, in an enclosed house for month after month uh, could uh, damage the soft tissues. It could damage hearing, it could damage nerves, and it could damage sex organs. So mm-hmm. this book was written over 20 years ago. The book was written over 20 years ago. And now these kids are growing up. Uh, the book was claiming that up to 24% of kids were going to have damaged sex organs 20 years ago. Here's 20 years later, these kids are growing up and they either are, are sterile uh, they're mutated sex organs. They may be just deformed. And instead of going well, I don't up- know that that's being widely reported. I mean, what you're saying is is accurate with respect to the there's a number of studies that show that environmental pollutants can affect reproductive functions. That's for sure. And, the, you know, the effects are poor fetal health and um, low birth weight and, and some pregnancies that don't come to term. Uh, however, I, I don't know that we can make a correlation and say that you have kids being born with damaged sex organs and that they're all becoming transsexuals, so therefore it's okay to put them on puberty blockers and mutilate their genitals because that just wouldn't make any sense, and I, there's no correlation between the two, right? So I think that's an apples and oranges situation. But I do agree with you that uh, we should get every human being away from what's happening in East Palestine because apparently if it's killing chickens and whatnot – play on the safe side, right? You don't want to be there and you don't want to have a, a situation where there's, you know, slowed growth or mental retardation or or premature births or premature deaths for that matter. So um, I think they're not interchangeable per se. And I, I don't think there's a widely reported situation of a quarter of the children that exist in America today uh, have uh, poorly functioning genitals. I just, that's not happening. That's not a thing. But I appreciate your call and I love that you're listening from San Francisco. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833 valdez That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're wrapping this thing up, but not before we get to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ is our phone number. Let us continue. Uh, let's see. Let us go to... Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW, go right ahead. Hey, great show. I just want to say, you know, these liberals are really missing the underlying tragedy of this. Granted, there are people, a very, very small minority, 
that may have the wrong brain with the wrong body. But really, the underlying tragedy is people not being able to accept who they are biologically, and that's gender, race, whatever. It'd be like a girl who was showing signs of anorexia because she wanted to be super skinny. You know, uh, the healthy, the right thing would do to be to tell her that her body type was beautiful and to let her come to terms with the body that she was given. And right. that's the way I feel about this gender thing. Um, I think a lot of parents are kind of pushing their kids in this, the virtue signal that they can uh, be a parent of a trans kid. So kids are kind of getting, I think, forced into this, you know, or just kind of encouraged. But, the, you know, the tragedy is if, if you're born a male or female and you don't like your gender, um, why not concentrate on that issue? You know, why don't you like what you are, you know? Um, it, right. It, where do we draw the line? Do we encourage anorexia? If their kid comes no. home and says they don't like the race they are, do we just say no problem? Right. You can we'll transition to, to black or you can transition to white or Filipino or whatever. Yeah. Race. Today I identify as, yeah, it would be something. Let me tell you, if we could really do this, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I am going to identify as skinny with a six pack, right? I'm also going to identify as six foot three and, um, you know, I don't know, let's call it 10% body fat. And uh, I'm just going to identify as athletic build, right? Who cares? I work in radio. Yes, I have a full head of hair. I'm, I'm not chubby in any way. I call myself original gordito for nothing. Yeah, listen, I think you're 100% right, Sarah. We have to draw the line somewhere. And I think that's what these state legislatures are doing and these governors that are putting these laws into place saying, look, we're not going to allow you to bully the kids around. We're not going to allow you to brainwash the kids. We're not going to allow you to hurt the kids, mutilate the kids, put them on puberty blockers. We're going to let them have a childhood and we're, we're going to stop the, the this activist movement of, of changing children's gender, which to me is, I feel like this is one big grand science project. And they're saying, you know what, for the next 20 years, let's just tell people it's okay. They can, I, they can be whatever they want to be. What do you identify as? You got it. I'll, I'll hook you up. We'll give them puberty blockers. We'll give them a, a, a mastectomy or, or a um, breast implants, whichever way they're going. And we'll see how this goes. And I think that the, this experiment is failing miserably where people are getting hurt uh, where people are dying ultimately because of uh, suicide. And it, it's uh, the mental illness is just unchecked here. So I think you're right, Sarah. I appreciate the call. Let me see. Do I uh, have to go? I have a, a minute or two. Let us continue. Let us go to Paul. Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Go right ahead, my man. Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, real quick hey. sidebar. I live um, about 100 miles from that train derailment here in Ohio, and I have to say I'm glad the wind has been blowing southeast. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, Pittsburgh, right. Pennsylvania, but <laughs> you don't want yeah. it blowing to your uh, to your place. Right, exactly. But I wanted to call about that, uh, you know, this transgender stuff and everything. You know, I don't agree with the government on a whole lot of stuff, and I don't like to see them interject, you know, into society. But this is one thing that they should – you know, get on, you know, get off their um, high horses here and say, hey, wait a minute, we have to stop this, you know, um, uh, mutilating these children, you know, at such a young age and so forth. And, you know, um, I mean, when you're 18, you can do what you want to do, right? You can go to the military, right. you can do whatever you want to do. Um, but I, I just think it's crazy, you know, um, uh, children, they just like the one lady said earlier, uh, they're not they're not born a racist. Or, you know, they don't know um, when they're born, they're a boy or a girl, and then they get this stuff put in their head. You know, it's pumped into them. And I think the people that should be held accountable are like the doctors that are doing this, 
Right. You know, it's kind of like a, yeah, it's kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. I mean, one day it's, oh, let's treat little uh, Johnny like this and that thing. But then the next day say, well, you know, little Johnny thinks he's little Sally, you know, and start. Right. And again, that should be addressed. I think those are legitimate issues, uh, Paul, where, where people, you know, if you have a situation like that, gender dysphoria, let's address it. I just don't think the answer is when you're eight or nine to say, we're going to stop your, your growth process. You're not going to hit puberty and we're going to, you know, uh, lob off your, your, um, your, your breasts or vice versa. Uh, I don't think that's the right answer. I think there's gotta be a better course of action before we go to something so radical. Uh, and, and it, the proof is in the pudding, but we're going to get to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. All right, we're wrapping up our open phone America, but not before we check in with Mary in Butte, Montana, KXTL. Mary, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich. I just wanted to say um, I'm a girl, and uh, since I was young, I'm over 60 now, but I have always wanted to be a guy. I live my whole life being a guy. I've raised children being a guy because I'm a man. I, I feel like I am. I do all the hard work, working on cars, doing everything. And for these children to have to change their world, thank goodness nobody told me to do that because I'm still a lady and I, am, I, I do everything a man does. And you go by Mary. Yeah, because I am a woman, but I always wanted to be a guy. But hell, I, I'm so thankful that I never changed my sex or right. whatever they're doing to these children. Um, and I've told my that. girls to be the same. They're tough, and they're they're just tough. And you just, it's okay to be both in a way. You know, I'm a father sure. and a mother to my children. Listen. Kudos to you. Uh, I think, and that's the point that I'm making here, is we can't force children or allow children or guide them or coerce them down a road where they're going to hurt themselves permanently and and be put in a position where they have irreversible surgery, um, whether they want to do this like you for their whole life or not. The the, the issue here is there could be irreparable harm. And we heard from the woman who testified in front of the legislature that she can't feel parts of her body. She can't feel her chest. She, you know, she has all these these issues, medical issues, as a result of these um, procedures that they call gender affirming care. So, Mary, thank you for the call. It was great speaking with you. Everybody else, thank you for your calls. Sorry, Anne, I couldn't get to you. The music means they're kicking me out. But Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America at Night. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... 
it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're gonna pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.